You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, we open there the 2022 Tour de France with the sound of the Danish fans in Tivoli Gardens on Wednesday evening at the team presentation cheering for their favourite, the Danish favourite, Jonas Vingegaard, the runner-up in last year's Tour de France, admittedly a distant second to Tadej Pogacar, but this year a really key rider because he is part of Primoz Roglic's Jumbo Visma team and well at the start of the tour will certainly be in a support role but who knows the tour is the tour and anything can happen on the road from Tivoli Gardens to the Rue de Rivoli mm. Tivoli to Rivoli yeah, we're here in the centre of Copenhagen on the eve of the Tour de France and my name is Lionel Burney usually you would hear the voice of Richard Moore welcoming cycling podcast listeners to our Tour de France coverage but many of you will know that Richard passed away at the end of March and so this is uh, a rather poignant podcast I feel a bit like a sort of domestique has been thrust into team leadership role I feel slightly underprepared uh, not really used to being number one on the mic missing Richard on a personal level of course very much so but on a professional level uh, his absence will be felt so keenly but we will remember the Buffalo over the next three weeks but we've assembled a team, a crack team for the Tour de France. Welcoming him back, Francois Tomaso, a veteran of how many tours, Francois? I don't know. I, I lost count. <laughs> I, I think it's the 34th, because I was told by the, the, the press chief of the Tour de France, Philippe Sud, that if I do one more, 35 tours, I'll be given a silver plate. Wow. <laughs> wow. I don't wow. know if it'll be enough to convince me to do another one, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, you said that last year, to be <laughs> fair, Francois. This is, I think, your sixth tour for the Cycling Podcast. You came on board in Dusseldorf in 2017. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again. Very much looking forward to travelling around France. I mean, if nothing else, Francois, just make sure the restaurants are booked when we get back to France. Not too sure about the, the Danish restaurants. I mean, I know about Danish restaurants. As you know, the best two restaurants in the world are in Copenhagen. Unfortunately, they're all booked up. And uh, and I don't think mm. the cycling podcast may be the means to entertain us. I mean, listeners, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm as you can imagine, I'm trying to convince Lionel that we have to <laughs> visit one of the best, two best restaurants in the world. But, well, and, and especially as I was told that one of them makes the best flan in the world. So... We'll see. But anyway, yeah, you, you can count on me as, as soon as we land in France to book the right restaurants. As for Copenhagen, we'll see. One of them is called Noma, right? Noma, yeah. yeah. And, well, how many Michelin stars has that got? Three. I mean, you know, the, 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 the two of them are three-star uh, Michelin restaurants. One of them uh, makes very strange things like uh, stuff made of bees. I don't know what they do with bees, you know, but... Uh, 
Well, we'll we'll check out and mm. we'll tell you. I'm looking forward <laughs> to well, it. Well, as you say, Francois, it might be a little bit above our budget. Or maybe we'll we'll wander past, press our noses up against the window, and and look enviously at the the menu. Um, three Michelin stars for Noma, five Michelin stars for our other host on the cycling podcast. Welcome back, Mitch Docker former pro rider of course host of a very fine podcast in your own right life in the peloton and you saw us over the line in paris last year uh, you did the final week of last year's tour and you're joining us for the first week of this year's tour thank you very much and welcome i'm excited to be back i didn't know if i get the call up again i had such a great time um, with richard as you said and with francois here and we had a ball i tell you what i was like whoa is this how it rolls no one of these are great to listen to and that was a great vibe. And you gave me the call up this year. Really proud to be back. Um, also glad to get out of that winter, Melbourne, Melbourne winter. My wife, I'm not sure if she's going to be listening to the podcast, but she'll be hating to hear this. She's back there with the three kids in the, in the winter. And I'm over here in the sun drinking a beautiful beer in the middle of Denmark, in the middle of Copenhagen, sorry, in Denmark. Well, we'll come on to the beer. We'll also come on to the Michelin Guide, Mitch, because uh, as we go through the first weeks, I want your verdict on the hotels. Richard actually booked all of the hotels when the tour route was announced back in October. And so there's an extra poignancy there. This is our kind of homage to Richard Moore in so many ways. Um, But I want your verdict as a former rider on the hotels we stay in, because you'll have stayed in thousands of hotels over the years, I guess. training camps and races so we'll do that uh, over the weekend and then when the race gets back to France of course but this is our kind of scene setter establishing our coverage of the Tour de France uh, it's not going to be speculation heavy is it we're not going to be talking about who might win the Tour de France any number of riders called Tadej Pogacar might win the Tour de France <laughs> I don't know can we look any further oh yeah than that? we can yeah we can I've got some I've got some uh, curveballs out there yeah well we said we were not going into that, so um, we're not getting there. Okay, so uh, I... No, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Apparently, you've already had a heated debate on the flight from Paris yeah. to Copenhagen this afternoon. No, it was actually... It was not, it was not exactly on who was going to win the Tour. It was on Team Tactics. We were hoping mm. uh, that, you know... Because Mitch, as you know, is, a, is an insider. He's got, he's got lots of insider's uh, information. And he, he, he was told by a, a former British writer uh, that um, Ineos Grenadiers may uh, attempt the same tactics as uh, Bora uh, did on the Giro, which is uh, all-out attack. And they have the team to do that. And I was thinking that if they do that, Bora do the same, and then Jumbo are forced mm. to do the same, we're going to be in for an exciting tour. I named three, three teams... I, I, I suppose let's let's be honest that, that there are only three teams with a, a reasonable chance of winning the tour in this uh, this year. So if those three teams you know play act the way we were uh, you know fancy fancying them to do in, in in the camp coming here, it would be really exciting. And so the names of the winners are in those teams, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll unpick all of that as the race goes on. Mitch, of course, as a former rider, you've uh, got great insight into what goes on in the racing, but as we know the Tour de France is about so much more than just the racing so we'll be trying to capture some of the atmosphere as we travel across Denmark initially and then through northern France. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France powered by Super Sapien energy management for committed athletes and coaches still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again 
Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Super Sapiens Podcast. Homo sapiens meet Super Sapiens. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to episode one of the Super Sapiens Podcast. I'm your host, Zylan Fenech. With me is my co-host, David Lipman, the Director of Applied Science and Content at Super Sapiens. David, we are here, we are published, we are live, we are doing this. Yeah, great, thank you. Very exciting and uh, super happy to be here. Your ears aren't deceiving you. Super Sapiens now have their own podcast. Super Sapiens are our title sponsors, of course, and Zylon Van Eck and Dr. David Lippmann have started a podcast to explain how elite athletes are using Super Sapiens to uh, monitor their blood glucose in real time, hone their nutrition strategy, hone their training, and improve their performance. You can find it in all good podcast apps, and we'll put a link in our show notes. We're not going to do a blow-by-blow preview of the stages because week three is, you know, it's a long way away. And as you said, Francois, who knows what will happen before there. We might not all make it. I mean, COVID, the spectre of COVID, mm-hmm. the shadow is kind of over the Tour de France. We've had a number of riders pulling out already. And I suppose that's where I wanted to start with you, Mitch, because as a former sprinter and a lead-out man and a road captain, I really want to ask you the key question. One of the biggest stories in the run-up to the Tour is the exclusion of Mark Cavendish from the quick step lineup. Mm. So two questions. First of all, if you were selecting that team, would you have put Mark Cavendish in the initial eight? And secondly, once Tim de Klerk was ruled out with COVID, would you have called him up instead of Florian Seneschal, the newly crowned French champion, of course? It's been the big debate all year, hasn't it? It's been quite an interesting thing, and I'll put it up there, and something I, I think we can talk about later on is the, the new point system. As a non-pro now, I'm loving this. It's added another interesting thing about watching cycling. Our team's going to be in, our team's not going to be in. And the Tour de France debate about Jakobsen and Cavendish has been also that that debate that, you know, there's an equal argument on either side. I guess to answer your question, I couldn't have excluded him from the eight because just that that chance for him to take the record, that, that ominous record that you were talking about all last year that we couldn't mention... I think it's it just crescendoed there at the Champs-Élysées. I was there last year when he didn't get it. And it's almost like it was just setting the stage for a really exciting tour this year for him to ride. To answer your second question, when he wasn't in the team and Tim de Klerk was out to slot him in, I'd say no. To go against that, because now they're committed to Fabio. And to put another sprinter in there, I think they would come away with nothing. Two sprinters and... Seneschal has proven himself time and time again as a really good lead-out man, as a workhorse, as a useful tool. And I think they've taken a guy out. It's not the exact same runner, but they've slotted in with the next best thing. I, I agree with that decision, but maybe I don't agree with the original decision. So what you're saying is that Cavendish should have been included in place of one of the other riders, but once it was de Klerk that was positive for COVID, they needed another kind of workhorse to go into that team because having two sprinters and no de Klerk and no similar rider, that, that might have upset the harmony of the team, the balance of the team, and actually might have counted against their chances yeah. of winning any sprints. Exactly. I don't think it would either have to be Cavendish or Jakobsen. And then after that, that's it. 
You can only go with one sprinter, in my opinion. Otherwise, you end up looking like Eiji Tuara of the sort of early 2000s where they had three guys in the top 10, no one ever winning. I mean, Cavendish last year, he would make the point that while he hasn't broken Eddie Merckx's record and claimed it on his own, he does share the record. He is the record holder, albeit jointly. So I suppose, I know, for me personally, you know, winning 35, that sets him ahead of Eddie Merckx, the greatest rider of all time. I mean, do you buy into this sort of internet conspiracy theory that Patrick Lefebvre is doing his old mate Eddie Merckx a favour, leaving Cavendish at home so Merckx retains a share of the record? I, I had a great opportunity this year, which is to translate uh, Mark Cavendish's book Tour de Force into French, which kind of forced me to, to be in the mind of Mark Cavendish, even, even though uh, we know that Daniel Freeber and Peter Cousins were a little bit involved in writing this book as well. Uh, and, and, but it was fascinating in a way. You, you could still hear the, the voice of, of, of Cav in there. And, and I couldn't help, while I was kind of living the, 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 this tour de force with him and the way he managed to finally do the tour and win those um, you know, stages, Still, there there is a, a, a kind of bully in in him. You know, you can tell, he, he, and he was very gentlemanly about it. He was, I, I mean, translated the book and kind of being Mark Cavendish for two weeks or three weeks. The time he took me to translate it made me much more like him more. I, I, I kind of, you know, tried to impersonate in a way uh, what he was. But he's a competitor. Is 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 a sprinter and sprinters. Like like strikers in football, they need confidence, they need trust. This is why I disagree in a way with the Mitch about the the, 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 the you know the first. You, you can have two goal scorers, two strikers in a in a football team playing in the same role. Otherwise, they, they you know they, they thread on each other's feet and it doesn't work. And I, and had Cav been there with with you know Fabio Jakobsen being young, we know where, where he comes back from, and he needs in his confidence, in his trust, in his the whole team behind him. Really, in my mind, Cav would have been kind of a, 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 a almost unwitting, a kind of bully. You're always there, you know. In case mm. what, what would Cav do? Uh, you, you start the stage. Fabio Jakobsen is a protective sprinter. What the, what does Cav do in this? Uh, uh, okay, would have gone for a few battles along the road, uh, but what would his role be, really? I I, that's, I, I agree with you. Like yeah. he couldn't have been in the team at the <laughs> no. same time. No. So, that's what I was saying. Is that so? You can't have two roosters. That's in there. right. And, yeah. and 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 the and the f- and, and the record is great for us fans. It's great for us journalists. But what what does it matter for? Once he won a stage in the Giro, great. It was it was kind of uh, you know we thought oh uh, let's see what 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 happens next. Uh, he might have won another one here, but let's face it, you're Patrick Lefebvre. Normally, Fabio Jakobsen has a chance to win more than one, probably two, three, four, five. Uh, who knows, you know? And, you know, I'm well placed to say that because I'm the old generation, old school, probably maybe my last Tour de France, <laughs> like have. You know, I'm kind of in the same situation as we say in French, place aux jeunes, you know? It, it's time for the young generation to emerge. You, you, you can't wait another year for Fabio Jakobsen uh, to, uh, you know, to, to, to make his really, really great Tour debut. So, I've come to accept that, once again, by translating his book, that Mark Cavendish is a, as class as a person, and and I, I didn't find his tweets, you know, uh, which which sounded, which was pretty nice and polite, like accepting the decision. I 
after reading the book and getting really deep into it, I, I think it's sincere. It, of, of course, it's frustrating. Of course, it's probably. But I, I, I really, I, I really believe. Uh, I've come to love Mark Cavendish, <laughs> and I think he's, And I think uh, when he says uh, that you know he wishes the best to Fabio, and he already said in the book last year, uh, you know all the, the good things he thinks about Fabio Jakobsen. So, so in a way, if Fabio Jakobsen wins two, three, four five stages in a way it will, it will have been the passing of the baton from a, a, the, the greatest sprinter of all time to, to one of the most promising sprinters I mean Cavendish would get in probably 12 to 14 of the other teams who might want a sprinter that's the great irony isn't it it's because he's in quick step but then there's the question would he win mm. in those teams would he have the support necessary would he have the bike necessary I mean they're all imponderables aren't they the the questions that we can't perhaps answer um, but it does rob the tour of an A-list sprinter and of some real drama I mean you know it would have been incredible seeing Cavendish and Jakobsen two alpha males sorting out the, the sprint responsibilities in quick step but Jakobsen now gets a free run at it what about the other sprinters Mitch because he'll go potentially head to head with Dylan Groenewegen of Bike Exchange who um, well they have raced together since that terrible incident at the Tour of Poland where Groenewegen took responsibility for causing the crash that um, gave Jakobsen such serious injuries. Um, Jakobsen's won a couple of times but recently they went properly head-to-head at the Tour de Hungary and um, uh, Groenewegen won that one. So um, the potential to see Groenewegen go up against Jakobsen. Then there's Caleb Ewan, Jasper Philipsen, uh, Alexander Christoph, maybe mm. Alberto Dainese, who won a stage at the Giro. Can you look beyond that? Who have you got your eyes on for the sprint stages, Mitch? Well, I'm I'm actually interested to see who who is coming into form. You know, all the guys you're speaking about there have all had their own path to the Tour de France. It sounds obvious to say that, but you know, Gronewagen he went to the Dauphiné and got sort of his ass kicked there because it wasn't a parkour for him. So has that damaged his confidence? That's one thing I'm wondering. Um, bike Exchange is going with a team around him. You know, they've got Yatesy there floating solo, but the rest is there for him. Um, and then again, Caleb Ewan coming off the back of a pretty controversial, not controversial, but not a great Giro, actually. So again, is his confidence being damaged? Everything going on with that team. Um, I'm interested to see what's going on too with their lead out. Their inclusion of Van Rensburg, who's got a story of his own only getting a contract mid-season and all of a sudden flourishing. This is what Caleb Ewan needs. And you said, yeah, we're missing one of the A sprinters, but I'm obviously an Australian. I'm interested to see Caleb back at his best, back at the tour, doing some sort of Cavendish-style sprinting. I think that's going to be the really interesting battle for me, Jakobsen and Ewan, um, opposed to Gronewagen. I feel like Gronewagen isn't back to his best yet. And nothing against bike exchange. They don't have that train drilled as a quick step train. One thing I would like to say, because we're in Copenhagen, is that maybe we won't see Mark Cavendish beat the record, but we already admit all of us that is is the the greatest sprinter. Maybe not maybe not in the history of cycling, but in the history of the Tour de France for sure. But if Jakobsen wins a couple of of, of sprint stages, bunch sprints on the Tour de France, Michael Morku might really claim to be the best lead-out man mm-hmm. there ever was. And that would be, you know, winning with Bennett, Cavendish, uh, Jakobsen, 
we, we already know that potentially that's the case is the best leader I've known that 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 you know that ever was but if it if he manages to you know lead out Fabio to win a couple of stages then we would see really the crowning of a yeah of an absolutely astounding uh, lead out man I don't know how many you know victories he can claim I mean we, we, we could count mm. but it, it, it you know it's already impressive and it would be even more so now here we are in Copenhagen and we've been talking about the sprinters primarily because the Mark Cavendish will he won't he start the Tour de France was one of the big pre-race stories um, and the sprinters will probably feature over the weekend here in Denmark almost certainly on Sunday but possibly also on Saturday depending on what the weather's like going over that huge bridge um, we'll see whether the wind blows at the moment the forecast uh, looks fairly benign but uh, anything can happen in the next uh, 24, 48 hours. But here we are, Mitch, enjoying our first beer of the Tour de France. We certainly are, and I'm going to bring the beer reviews back. Maybe not every day, but you know what? I said last year there wasn't going to be many beers in the south of France there, and all of a sudden, Francois, Richard, and I were just swimming Jacobson. in beer. We were Jacobson. just beered out. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. Let's not go that far. But we've started with a Carlsberg we're in the centre of um, Copenhagen right now. And I was like, well, you walked out, Lionel, with the Carlsberg. It seemed very stere- very stereotypical. But actually, it's got a, quite a good history. It was it was brewed by Jakobsen, you know, pretty common. Jakobsen, not Fabio, but J.C. Jakobsen. In 1847, in the streets of Denmark, Copenhagen, Denmark, um, and he started brewing in his own cellar at the age of 36. Wow. Which I am just on the cusp. I'm 36 now. So, you know, things are lining up. This is just a, it's a, to give you a bit of background on it, everyone knows this beer, so I don't have to do too much. It's a lager, European ale. The, the news ABV there is, is watch out for Docker Pills. What alcohol percent is it? In a few it? years. It is. 5%. 4.6, you said. 4.6, that's right. So, it's not much more to say about that. Everyone knows it, but I think we've started on a good note. And as a Guinness, from what I'm told, is there's nothing like drinking a Guinness than in Ireland. There's nothing like drinking a Carlsberg than in the streets of Copenhagen, I can tell you. <laughs> Docker Pills or maybe Mitchburg. Your brewed on brew. the streets of Lansfield, <laughs> Victoria. Yeah. Well, let's continue the Danish theme because a little bit earlier today I met up with a Danish journalist just to find out a bit more about Copenhagen and the other parts of Denmark that the tour is exploring over the next three days and just what it means to Denmark and Danish cycling for Copenhagen to finally host the Grand Depart. Well, tell me, what has the atmosphere been like? Because it's been a long wait for this Grand Depart in Copenhagen, hasn't it? Yeah, well, this is a small country. And uh, we're also kind of, I like to say that the, the Danes, as a people, we're very modest. And to see such a great spectacle as the Tour de France, just yesterday in the Tivoli Garden the, with the Grand Depart, it was, was kind of like two worlds meeting. And it was, it was a very, f- I think it was a very nice fit together. I mean, the enthusiasm of the, of the crowds, it was kind of like released yesterday and everybody that I've been talking to have been like, okay, now we're here. Now we, let's get this started. Because we've been waiting so long. It always seemed like a dream almost. But now the Tour de France is here and we're ready. I've been to Copenhagen a few times, but I'm always blown away by just what a cycling-friendly city is. I mean, where we're standing just behind the central Copenhagen train station here, mm. there's just a, a almost a field of bicycles. I mean, if your bike is seven or eight deep there, 
how do you get your bike back when you get back from your commute? I mean, it, it's like they're almost stacked on top of each other. Yeah, you don't have to be shy. Just when I had to park on the other side of this building right here, I had to move two or three bikes to squeeze mine because they had to stand up, uh, up next to a lamppost not to fall over. And you don't have to be, you, you can't be shy with your bikes and it's okay for other people to touch your bike. Just, just don't steal it, which is of course also an issue here as in every other city. So it's, um, it's, I guess it's like a cultural thing. I mean, I've been living in the city for, for eight years now and you, so you, you, you just get used to it, really. And it's an easy city to get around on two wheels, I guess, just simply because I think the bikes outnumber the cars, it seems to me. Yeah, I think um, I heard somebody say that, unlike any other city, when you're, you're, when you're on your bike here, you're part of the majority, not, a, not part of a minority. And you feel like you're part of this wave that moves through the city. And in some way, it also makes you feel safer to be part of like a group of cyclists going down up and down a back path. You feel safe because if everybody just, if everybody just keeps their trajectory, really, then you, you, you're going to get through traffic easily. The cars will stop for you and they will give you leeway. I mean, the opening time trial will show off Copenhagen to great effect, won't it? Um, ten Danish riders on the start list. Jonas Vingegaard got the... Uh, biggest reception at the team presentation last night didn't he clearly everybody here is behind him but in the sporting terms what's the kind of sense of anticipation for the Tour de France and for the opening weekend I think in a sporting sense I've talked about modesty before and I think we're also trying to be modest I mean of course we're hoping for a storm when they have to cross the Great Belt Bridge but probably not going to be like that and it might even just become like a normal mass sprint um, but I think the expectations, the expectation is there's going to be massive crowds. Like everybody wants to see this, this thing happening just down in my yard uh, where I live uh, in my apartment building. People have been talking about the tour like, oh, are you going to go see the tour? And, and uh, everybody are going. So I think massive crowds, maybe the bike race might not even be in the, in the main focus because the result might be a standard stage. But the crowds and the, the vibe around is, is going to be pretty exceptional, I think. So what should we expect from the racing then? The opening time trial, it's a city centre course. Um, then we've got the, the two stages which may or may not go the way of the sprinters. As you said, the, the huge bridge. I mean, what a feat of architecture and engineering that is. And it's not the only one in Denmark, but is it the biggest bridge in Denmark, that one? I think it's the, big, it's the biggest, biggest bridge in Denmark. And I think it's like the second or third largest uh, suspension bridge in the world. So it's pretty, pretty exceptional. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I was born after the bridge was built and just like the way it just ties the country together. I mean, before you had to take the ferry to get from one part of the country to the other. Otherwise you couldn't get there, you have to fly. Um, so what it did for Denmark as a country, all these bridge building is a very big part of our culture because Denmark is a small, even smaller country now because we have these bridges. We can go from one end of the country, uh, of one end to the other in like three, four hours. So, big part of, uh, of Danish culture, I'd say. I mean, I don't like to speculate on the weather. It's absolutely glorious here today. Sun's shining, very warm. Uh, the forecast earlier in the week was that maybe the, there would be uh, some wind on the bridge, crosswinds on the bridge. goes without saying, it's very exposed. Um, it must also have some kind of climb on it as well. It, yeah. It's not going to be dead flat, is it? Because those bridges tend not to be. So, I mean, it's going to be spectacular, even if the wind doesn't blow, right? Yeah, yeah I think so as well. I can't remember, remember the exact gradient, but it's it's a pretty long like section that, that'll, that'll rise. And I mean, you have to be careful to not put too much in it because these races are exceptional. And to them, it's not like anything, anything we'll, we'll experience. So it might not cause that spectacle. 
but I mean, I just can't imagine that something might not happen might happen on this stage because uh, Mass Pedersen, for example, Mass Pedersen on the uh, Trixigafredo, these are his roads that they'll be going through, and with his, if he is in within reach of the yellow jersey after this time trial, I just can't imagine he might not go to his sports director and be like, okay, on this road and this road, it's going to be really narrow. Let's try and put the pedal down and see if something happens uh, on the on the first part of the stage before the bridge. And if that happens, then something really spectacular could happen, uh, even if there might not be any wind. What about Quickstep? Because it's almost a Danish team, isn't it? With three riders in there, Askren, uh, Onore, and I'm going to ask you, Paul, how do you say uh, Michael Morkoff, Mikkel Merku? I mean, we, yeah. we use it interchangeably because yeah, yeah. we try to respect the Danish uh, pronunciation, but it's kind of in- difficult for the English palate to get around yeah. that word. I mean, we just, we appreciate you trying. I really like, you don't have to, like, just try to say Merku. Mikael Merku, uh, it's, it's a difficult one. And it, it, the latter thing you said there was, I was like, hey, this guy's trying to say his name properly. And that we respect a lot because this is a really let's say very difficult language and not many people speak it but about quick step uh, the expectations i guess for me are not as much uh, here in denmark of course uh, michael marco i think he can pilot uh, fabio jacobsen to the win on stage three and a secret weapon there is i've talked to casper uh, asgren early in the year and he lives very close to, uh, to the course on stage three and he said he'd, he had ridden that course maybe a hundred times so he knows the road and the, f- the, fin- the finale into uh, into Sønderborg where the sprint is going to be I think Quickstep will have a trick up the sleeve and will know exactly where to be at the right time for that f- finale so I think they're going to they're gonna win stage three that's my bet at least Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. If you want to get 25% off all Science in Sport's products, as ever, the code is SISCP25 and the website is scienceinsport.com. You can fuel your ride, your recovery with energy bars, energy drinks, and, uh, well, my particular favourite, the Tiramisu Energy Bake. So the code is SISCP25 and the website scienceinsport.com. Francois, you said there's probably only three teams that can win the Tour de France. Tadej Pogacar riding for UAE Team Emirates, the defending champion, winner for the last two years, of course, outstanding favourite, hottest favourite, six stars out of five, I'd say, in terms of uh, his... Um, candidacy for the final yellow jersey in Paris uh, but he won't have it all his own way if Jumbo Visma have anything to say about it Primoz Roglic who crashed out last year early on uh, crashed out of contention um, he's had a bit more of a beefy build up to this year's Tour de France he won the Dauphiné and looking like he's kind of tailoring his form to come into the Tour de France uh, pretty hot He's got Vingegaard as his backup, of course, a very useful foil, um, just in case anything happens to Roglic. The third team, are, are we seriously considering considering an Ineos Grenadier, or have you got someone else in mind? Because Geraint Thomas has just won the Tour de Suisse. No, I, I said mean, three, but it's actually four because because I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Bora, uh, and I really for me the re- the really intriguing rider in this Tour de France is Alexander Vlasov. 
if you look at the, his, his record all year round, I mean, he's always been you know, an aggressive rider, very consistent in all kinds of terrains, and especially in the mountains as well. And this year you can you can see, well, Bora as a team and Vlasov as a rider have gone one step up. Uh, if there's someone to really, you know, watch and, and, and be... Uh, because my impression of Jumbo Visma is that they're, 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 they're slowly becoming like the onsay of the uh, you know uh, of of the, these days, great uh, lineup, two or three almost two or three riders capable of of the great GC uh, standing, but in the end they don't win. You know, uh, that's what Onse did for many many years. Uh, so I, I'm not sure the the position the you know Roglic is now with the Vingegaard as you say as a backup and which uh, which remains to be seen is 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 great in terms of uh, team tactics. Ineos Grenadiers, I hope they're 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 they're, they're going to be aggressive and that uh, and 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 you know really try to 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 really blow up the uh, the 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 race and make it very exciting. But as an homage to uh, to Richard, on the on the first day of the tour, I would say that to believe Garen Thomas can win the Tour de France is kind of fanciful, right? And and uh, I don't know. So yeah, so it's I, I'm I'm putting I'm putting a little bit of my money if you, if, you, if we have to do that on Vlasov. I I it would it would be strange to have a Russian win the Tour de France, uh, you know, given the circumstances we're we're in. The, now, but I mean, he's, to me, he's been really very, very impressive all season, and he's, he's, he's always kind of overlooked uh, in many ways. So, yeah, of course, Pogacar is up there, uh, and once, but once again, I, 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 I really don't know. I mean, Jumbo has all have, have struggled to win the Tour for the last three seasons. That they've had problems to get organized. For, for, for me, that the, the situation they're in, with really, really two leaders at the same level, is, is probably even more difficult to handle than, than in the past. Which I'm not saying they're not going to, unless you know it's an exceptional year for Roglic, unless he's matured, unless he doesn't crash, unless he doesn't have a day, uh, uh, you know, un jour sans, as we said, unless. Uh, well, it seems very tricky. And, and once again, as for Ineos, I think that they'll have a, they'll, they'll have a guy in the top five for sure. For sure, but, but it's, it's interesting uh, this idea of uh, Ineos with the four-pronged attack. I mean, that would be Geraint Thomas, Danny Martinez, uh, Tom Pidcock making his tour debut. Really excited to see how he gets on, and Adam Yates, who of course has been fourth in the tour before, a long while ago now, 2016. He's had COVID a little bit earlier this season, but that's a, a strong lineup. But perhaps without the potential winner. And then Bora Hansgrohe, of course, their Fab Four pulled off a fantastic win at the Giro for Jai Hindley. Um, Vlasov, Grosschartner, Kemner, Shackman. It's a strong lineup, but it's not not quite as uh, dynamic looking as that quartet that they took into the Giro. But as you say, arguably uh, Vlasov is podium potential here. I'd also chuck in. Henrik Mass as kind of a steady Eddie for Movistar. The, the French, Bardet, one last go. Pino, I, hunting my, my for stages in the King of the Mountain jersey, perhaps, instead. No, my impression, I mean, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, my impression is that the, the, the Bardet and Pino, I mean, they kind of, uh, you know, 
Thompson twins of of of, of the uh, the old guard actually. Uh, I, I I really think that they've settled uh, on on the idea that uh, unless Bardet is in really astonishing form, but they, 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 they've announced they were going for stages. I, I really believe, and that's what Thibaut Pinot, there was a long interview with Thibaut Pinot on, on, in L'Equipe today, uh, and he said, he really said how much pressure he felt for, for being the leader, and, and he, he, he's saying that Godu is far more built for that kind of pressure of being a GC leader than, than he is. So I think to, when Pino says he's going for stages, I think is is sincere. Then you never know. The race can sometimes, you know, make you, you make you a different rider than you thought you were in the first place. As for Bardet, I, I, I really believe he also thinks he's going for stage wins. But if his form is anything like he was on the Giro, then anything's possible, but I don't. I, I I think that they're both sincere in in uh, announcing they're not going for the GC. The fundamental question, Mitch, is tactically: How does anyone stop Tadej Pogacar from completing his hat trick, winning three in a row? I think it comes back to, and I think to go back to Ineos Grenadiers, I think. It's another element to why I think that team's going to be successful in this year's Tour de France is that four-prong attack, but also who's steering the ship. They've now got Steve Cummings steering that ship, Brett Lancaster as well. I think that's just an injection of new energy to a different tactic that Ineos hasn't hasn't followed forever that I've seen. And from what I understand, and I think they should, go with a bit more of an aggressive role. And I think that's the way to break Pogacar to... I think the worst thing that could happen is Jumbo get the jersey early and they ride it like they have the last few years. That is setting it up for Pogacar to go the way about he likes it. I think the best thing that could happen is today Pogacar gets the jersey and suddenly they're having to control and all these teams are going to go at them. And if we see, like, and as we were discussing before... This would make an amazing tour. And the first week is really set out to yeah. provide opportunities, isn't it? Because there could be an unpredictable stage in Denmark with, with crosswinds, difficult roads, um, sprinters trying to control, but, you know, um, the, the hectic nature, everyone's still um, right on edge because it's the first weekend of the tour and they'll be in their minds just thinking, get to France, get to France, get to France. And then, of course, after one day in France, it's, hell for leather straight over the cobbles and we've visited the cobbles a number of times in the last few years 2010 2014 2015 2018 but although there's only 11 sectors compared to 15 uh, last time 2018 this looks really really difficult there's Mm. some sections that have caused a bit of controversy with their inclusion some of the sports directors saying that they're too difficult for the tour de france peloton um, so that could be a really decisive stage. And then, of course, La Planche de Belfi, super La Planche de Belfi at the end of the week before we even reach the Alps. So it's almost like a, 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 a difficult stage race in its own, a week-long stage race in its own right before the Tour de France proper gets underway with the, the real climbing in the Alps and outdo as in yeah, week And once two. again, to get back to Ineos Grandiers, we know that the tactics for the past decade was always to have, like, you know, several, you know, several floors to the to the rockets several you know levels of the rocket in the climbs and you know one after the other the drop and then the leader was left on his own to go and win the stage and win the tour but who who, who would they do that for 
with the lineup they have? Who, who, who would accept? You, you see what I mean? Who, who would be the last, uh, you know, the, the last flight of the of the rocket? The, the, there's, I mean, on the first mountain stage, who, who would uh, Yates work for? Who would Thomas work for? Who would Danny Martinez work? Uh, you know, uh, work for? I mean, they're, they're only they're the only the only logic to that lineup. That that's a very strong lineup is to be aggressive and and go for both for stage wins and and try as you said to stir the shit a little bit. It'd be great too. I think the parkour is going to do that. It's going to sort itself out, and that's why I'm singing the Garen Thomas um, song this Tour de France because it suits him. <laughs> this is going to be crazy. It's going to be crosswindy. 2016. Who was in the front against Wavelgum? Thomas. When we go back to the cobblestone stages in the Tour de France, who was second in the cobbles? Thomas. Who's won the tour? Thomas. He knows what to do. I'm picking him early. And of course he won the opening time trial in Dusseldorf in Fancy 2017, fool. didn't he? <laughs> well, once again, I, uh, guys, we said we were not going to make plans or pronostications of anything of any sort, but we this, are. This, though, is the great sort of joy and difficulty of any kind of Tour de France preview. You, you end up running through um, every permutation. One man we haven't mentioned for the GC, and I'm surprised, Mitch, you haven't thrown his name into the ring, Ben O'Connor, Australian yeah. rider, um, opening the batting for AG2R, I want cricketer, in banging form, can put together three weeks, uh, man to watch, certainly. I wanted to say that before when you said, how about the French? And I was singing, the only flag... Someone's going to fly for the French is Ben O'Connor for a French team. And I honestly think he went out on a limb and said, I have never finished on a podium in a World Tour race before. This is before Dolphin A. And he put the pressure on himself and he backed it up. And what I was most impressed about that was when Rogalic and Vingegaard attacked, they initially got the gap. I'm talking about on the last stage. And he held the gap. He, he lost the time and he closed it on those two. And that was the most impressive thing about that third place for me is he showed it at the end of a race. He's got the goods against two of the best climbers in the peloton at the moment. I'm picking him definitely for a podium. If anyone can shake up the win, I, I think he's a roughie for the win, but he's, I think he's looking strong for a podium. If he's on that form anyway. Well, of course, he was going great guns last year, wasn't he, for a, for a long while. But before we inevitably name all 176 <laughs> riders on the start list, uh, we should probably wrap up our preview. We're, we're going to chew over everything that happens over mm. the next three weeks, aren't we? The, the opening week threatens to be a humdinger. Um, just a couple of things to mention before we wrap up this kind of scene setter not really a comprehensive preview of the Tour de France but uh, two things to mention one is that Stacey Snyder's batch of Tour de France ceramic cups mugs espresso sets go on sale tomorrow that's Friday at 10am Eastern Time US and 3pm UK time and that's 4pm Central European time you'll have to work out from that if you're in a different time zone when they go on sale they go on sale from her Etsy page and you can find a link in our show notes and also tomorrow we will be unveiling the collaboration between the cycling podcast and our clothing partners MAP uh, very excited about this more about this tomorrow but keep an eye on MAP's social media tomorrow at some point because they will be unveiling the first of three designs which all of our listeners can then vote for and the most popular design will go into production uh, a little bit more about that tomorrow as I said all it leaves me to say is the jazz starts up from the bar over the road from us I don't know whether that's uh, coming through the microphones but uh, it's taking the mood 
nicely sliding into the Tour de France, <laughs> I think, with a, with a bit of jazz, a lounge jazz. We will reconvene tomorrow on the start line, 4pm local time, when Jeremy Lecroix of B&B Hotels rolls down the start ramp, butterflies in his stomach, no doubt, probably butterflies in mine as well, but I'm glad to have got the first Tour de France podcast out of the way. Um, I don't think we crashed, did we? We got, we got through it. We live to fight another day and we will be back with our recap of stage one tomorrow. Before that, there's also an episode of Kilometre Zero, a slightly different Kilometre Zero series during this year's Tour de France. But again, more about that as we roll on. Mitch, you've got to dash off. You're going to an event this evening, appearing at the Rafa Cafe in Copenhagen. It will be too late. No one will be able to catch that because you'll be on stage there by the time this episode goes out. But good luck with that and see you tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's um, a bit of a dry argument. I finished my beer and it's almost time for another cold beer. <laughs> and Francois, we'll have to go to the press centre in the morning to collect our accreditation and then we'll be legitimately inside the Tour de France bubble. Absolutely. I, I think I'm going to cross the road and uh, have a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a little look at the jazz scene and a couple of beers as well because apparently they sell uh, beers and you can listen to music while having a couple of drinks. Sounds like a perfect start to the tour. Well, off we go. Join us tomorrow for the first stage of the Tour de France. Thank you, thank Francois. Thank you, Lionel. And thank you, Mitch. Thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.